Hello and welcome to the Blends Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ruff, and this week, Tom Cockings of Robert Cockings Motor Repairs in Somerset joins us to give a teaser of his highly anticipated talk on father and son conflict in the trade, which he'll be presenting at the Blend in October. Ahead of that though, have you ever considered if you really need to grow your business? Perhaps you do. Well, we've got Andy Crook joining us in just a second to offer some expert tips and advice on how to plan for it. But perhaps you don't. Perhaps bigger isn't always better. It's a question that Andy will be raising at The Blend in just a few weeks time and I'm pleased to say he's also with us here today on the podcast. Andy, welcome to The Blend podcast. My pleasure. Many of our listeners will be aware of your Facebook training sessions in which you present a 15-minute session every week on what you call the five pillars of business. One of those pillars, business planning, you'll be covering in great detail during your talk at The Blend in October. Could you start by giving us a taste of what we can expect to hear from you? Yeah, my talk's sort of loosely called Growing Pains, uh, and it's it's an extension of one of the 15-minute uh, training topics I did uh, recently um, and it's about what happens when you try and grow or, or scale your business uh, and grow and scale yourself as, a, as an individual um, and, and and looking at how those two things need to be in a line uh, and it, it's it's also asking the question do you need to be bigger do you need to be better uh, and the inspiration for a lot of what I'll be talking about uh is in a book called uh, Small Giants, uh, which is an incredibly interesting read. And if you get the revised word version, that the the author uh, Bo Billingham, I think it is, um, revisited ten years later some of the companies he talked about in in his book Small Giants, and they're basically the books. You know, spoiler alert, so you don't need to go and buy the book. Basically, looks at some companies that decided not to to scale and grow to be massive but decided to be totally true to their culture and their belief uh, and they all had very very similar traits they weren't very different businesses but very very similar traits some of those traits i see in um in in automotive independent garages um and other businesses not just garages but the people i hang around with in business tend to be in and around the automotive area and there are certainly i can think of a training company that that is very much like this is is it's decided to be excellent rather than big uh, and that's um that's something i often see in 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 a lot of independent garages or micro businesses i.e they've got less than and well less than 10 so one to nine employees turnover of less than a million but some of these businesses are absolutely fantastic and that's where i think we should be aspiring to be and then if you get the slightly bigger um smes in the independent sector some of those have grown but they're not what in in business terms they're not giants they're still relatively small businesses and they are striving to be excellent and that, that a lot of that you could see that DNA, if you like, in the in the in the businesses in the book. So that's what, uh, as a sort of inspired the talk, a bit about that book and a bit of my personal experience going round, uh, and speaking to people uh, and and visiting garages and and challenging, if you like, the audience to think, is is bigger necessarily better? What do I need to do to to get there, and should I should I consider being bigger? That's an interesting point. When it comes to business the typical mindset is 
we need to grow, we need to get bigger, we need to get better. But I think you're right, growth isn't necessarily the right approach for every garage. So I guess that raises the question, how does a garage owner decide if growth is the right path for them? Well, if you're asking me, it all comes down to planning and it starts with what the 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 what what's needed from the business from the owner stroke owners so if their their vision statement requires you know by the time they want to end their association with the business a certain amount of turnover and revenue to have a certain style of business which they may desire to sell or to have enough money in the bank to retire however that works that may require some growth if that's not the outcome maybe design a business that serves your purpose perfectly is a better way to go it might not be that bigger is better it might be that better is bigger with you i think (laughs) you talk about business growth but personal growth is a big part of it too right absolutely and um whenever i i talk about planning um the first thing i always ask people to do is plan their next 10 years rather than their businesses next 10 years and then build a business that serves you rather than you serving your business, which is often the way. Uh, sadly, far too many, not just garage owners, but small business owners are slaves to their business. They, they've What they've done is they've traded in a job they didn't like for another job that, that's equally difficult, but one that they can't leave. Uh, not, well, not easily. And they can feel trapped. Uh, and the easiest way out of that, the way to, to overcome that, that, if you like, I call it the... E-Trap, which is a book uh, by Michael Gerber, the E-Myth, to get out of that trap, if you like, is to have a plan and have a plan for yourself so that you are constantly achieving and growing yourself and your business will follow you because your business is the tool for achieving your personal aims and growth. And to become better in business, you have to become better as as an individual, as a person, because you need more skills, if that's what it is, or you just become a better, a better person, more rounded uh, person for it. Because to get good at some of these things, you have to learn more. Which and I'm one of my key values is um, lifelong learning. Hence the fact that my uh, age, I'm I'm still you know attending university. It, it's been a constant in my adult life. Didn't do very well in school. Uh, I thought school was for girls and rugby, but since. You know, I've I've really appreciated the value of education and what it can bring, not just to your business, but to yourself and the people that you meet. The idea of sitting down and planning the future of your business can seem somewhat of a daunting prospect. But is working out that plan as hard as it may seem on the face of it? Do you have any sort of practical tips or advice on how garage owners can properly develop that plan into something that they can use? If you don't have a plan then what you know well how you know and uh, i think it's a very famous quote by a um a, a, a baseball coach called yogi bearer and he said if you don't know where you're going you're unlikely to get there uh and it, it's never truer it's a bit like having a business where you don't know what the destination is it's a bit like getting in your car and just driving you know are you likely to get to where you're going very unlikely isn't it unless you know where your the actual final destination is and that's what having a plan does. And most people, whether they they know it or not, or they consider to have a plan, they have a final destination in mind. There is something at the end that they would like. But unless you formalise that, unless you write that down, unless you have some idea 
of how you're then going to get there. And I always say to work backwards from that. So whatever your end outcome is, that's the, that's the destination and plan your journey back from there rather than from where you are now to there, which seems incredibly daunting because you might be a long way from that, that goal or you might be relatively close. And how I, I, I plan or I, I encourage people to plan, and it's worked for me uh, in, in both personal and professional life, is, is to have this massive vision, almost like, whoa, could I? Uh, for example, you know, I want to, 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 to do a PhD. Uh, but how do you do that when you left school with one GCSE? Well, not even a GCSE, that's how old I am. One O-level. It, 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 at that point, it seems impossible and it's easy to give up. But if you start with finishing a PhD and you work your way back, well, what's what do I need to do to get on a PhD? Well, I need a master's. So how do I get a master's? I need a degree. How do I get a degree? I need to do a HND. How do I do an HND? I can do a HNC. How do I get there? Well, I need to enroll. And if you take that journey, uh, it's, it's more than 20 years, but if you set them steps, they're steps, you can make it. And if you then break your big vision into, and I like a planning cycle of threes, so three threes, so three years in threes, which leaves nine, even I can do that maths, which leaves you with a floating year. So if a, a COVID happens, you can write a year off, or if a year doesn't quite go to plan, You've got that flexibility in your planning to, to to write a year off. You can't keep writing a year off. So you have three threes, which gives you nine, and that'll give you to your 10. If you plan back 10 years to where you are now, you're trying to achieve everything in much smaller steps. And then you take your three, so your next three-year goals, and you have one-year plans, and you would, you would try and achieve a certain amount in the first year, a bit more in the second year, and half the the entire three-year goal in the third year. And it gives you that incremental planning and gains, which is what the Atomic Success Programme about uh, that, that I talk about. Uh, um, and that's what uh, I call it, atomic planning. Uh, and then you take your year and you break it into quarters and you, you then have a 90-day goal, you have your week's goals and you have what you need to do today. And something I like to talk about is um, minimal viable sort of effort. So... What one thing do I do today that takes me one step closer to my goal? And if you're doing that every day, amazingly, you will get there. It's one step at a time. You're right. It really is amazing because the compound effect of those small improvements over time can be significant. James Clear in his book Atomic Habits suggests that improving by just 1% every day, which at the time is hardly noticeable, if at all, over a year, you'll end up being 37% better. How amazing is that? Things are changing within the independent garage sector, though, aren't they? I know you sometimes refer to an awakening, Andy, in recent years. Could you just tell us what you mean by that? That's what I call COVID, the Great Reset. Um, it's not just in, in, in our industry. It was across the board. People had a, a real, um, if you like, wake-up call. And people had disruption to their lives enforced upon them, and they mean they they had time, you know, because they stopped going to work every day, even if it was for very very brief periods. If for those of us who were lucky enough uh, to be in that position where we had that break, uh, even if it was just for a week, people went, "Is this what I want to do?" And then they looked at other people, maybe doing slightly more um, 
should we say, uh, meaningful work like nurses and, and other people. And they looked at that and thought, am I making a big enough difference? And, and, and some people looked at it like that. Other people looked at their lives and thought, do I want to go to work? You know, the us as, as business owners, especially as garage owners, flexible enough now. Do I, or do we only see what we saw or, or do we only believe a, a garage can be run with full time staff working, you know, eight till five? Is that actually true? Could we be more flexible? Uh, I know people who, who've tried the four day working week uh, and, and things like that since COVID because they've looked at it and thought, do we want to be doing this most of our time? Do we want to be working most of our time? Do we want our staff to be in that position? And and people are starting to question the status quo and they're starting to say, is that are there other ways around it? Are there different? And that's what I mean by the reset. Are we so blinded by the conventional that we can't see that there's another way? And I suppose this great reset is rather timely too because it's come at a time of significant change. Now, I know the pace of change within the automotive industry has always been extremely fast, but the difference that we're experiencing right now is it's the very fundamentals of the industry that are changing right now, what with electrification and even autonomous drive technologies. So it's only right for garage owners that still want to have a business in 10, 15 years time to look up at what's happening and make the necessary plans now. Yeah, absolutely. And will your will your in working environment look the same? And the, the, the short answer is probably going to be in up to five years, probably won't have changed much. You might start depending on how, how the future of personal mobility changes will depend on how the independent garage sector looks. I mean, if you, if you consider, if we had a, just close your eyes and imagine that tomorrow everything was totally battery, what would that look like? What would your business look like? What would be the work you would be doing? There were no internal combustion engine vehicles. Everything had a battery. What would your garage look like? What work would you be doing? Uh, and having time to think about things like that allows you to start to prepare, I suppose. But I still think, you know, I I hope, because my mission is to, is to save the internal combustion engine, um, that we will still have internal combustion engines in 15, 20 years' time. There might not be as many, uh, and we'll have a, a range of different technologies for our personal mobility. Uh, and yeah, will we? Will there be a requirement to to specialize further? It's it's very difficult to say, but the 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 technology that's on cars now is is so complicated. We I think we need to look at how we recruit, where we recruit from. The minimum level of education for for a, a for a technician now must be greater. We we need to get that message into schools. We need to attract high quality uh, engineering graduates, I believe, into the motor industry, not to design the cars, but to fix them. Now, there'll be some garages out there that will say, well, we're retiring in 10, 15 years time, so we're just going to keep doing what we're doing until then. And that's perfectly fine. Others may well already be on that path to service in the UK's changing car park, and that's great. I guess it all comes down to doing what's right for your business and your own personal circumstances. But you can only make an informed decision on that by being aware of what's happening 
And that is what makes the blend such a fantastic opportunity for garage owners across the UK and Ireland to come along and discuss those challenges and work out the various paths to success. Yeah, absolutely. And, and bouncing ideas around because you might be thinking one thing and somebody else might be thinking somebody else and sharing those two ideas somewhere in the in between the two extremes will probably be the the reality and 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 it, if even if you just have an awareness it you know you, you're more likely to be prepared for that change it's going to sneak up us upon us it's going to be gradual but one day you know a garage owner that that may be ostrich like with its with their head in the sand saying we're going to retire uh in you know by the time all this happens it's not going to affect us we're going to continue our business as is they might find their customers are already voting with their feet and leaving uh way before it becomes a critical point in terms of the number of vehicles for their garage because they'll be seen as maybe not an attractive proposition for that customer because although they may have one petrol vehicle left their other vehicle because most households have two is is an electric vehicle and the experience they had in the the nice electric vehicle garage if you like the the, the that business who's who's kept up with the times is modern uh you know isn't is a, a if should we say I'll, I'll use the term under the arches as because it just brings up an image in everyone's mind we know what that garage looks like that's more likely to be the ostrich where someone who's who's, who's looking forward probably has a, a better proposition deals with the customers differently and 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 therefore they might start losing customers not because of the change in technology but because of the the, the improvement across the board by other garages the improvement they're not willing to engage in not just because they're not looking at the, these technologies but a petrol vehicle you know um, i'm in a relatively new uh, toyota um and you know it drives itself you know it, it it's you know the active cruise control and lane assist just means on on the motorway you know i really aren't paying that much, that much attention when i should be but that's the level of technology in that vehicle and that's you know it's not new technology yet therefore a, a garage that hasn't invested in that when that toyota goes in there in a few years time and it's out of warranty and they say sorry you can't do it and they go to the other garage that can because those technologies are more associated with the newer electric vehicles and they can do that work, they might have lost that customer. So when it, they might be retired earlier than they think, or if they're planning, and it's a big topic of mine, they're planning on selling that business, what are they going to sell? Andy, we're almost out of time, I'm afraid, but very quickly, what's the key message you would hope people take away from your presentation at the Blend in October? Invest in yourself, because if you don't, no one will. And then once you've invested in yourself, you'll be able to invest in your business and the people therein. Andy Crook, thanks so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to hearing much more on the topic of business planning from you in just a few weeks' time at The Blend. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. The Blend Podcast, inspiring success from within the community. Join us at The Blend on the 7th of October at the Eastside Rooms in Birmingham. Now. No matter how much thought you put into your business plan, the one thing that you may not have yet considered, if you're running a family-owned business at least, is a family dispute putting the brakes on innovation and causing ripples of discontent in both your work and home life. It's a situation that Tom Cockings of Robert Cockings Motor Repairs in Somerset came up against in recent years. I'm pleased to report this story does have a happy ending, as we'll find out shortly. Tom, 
How are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm very well, thank you. Nice to speak to you. We've been really looking forward to having you on and we're especially looking forward to your talk at The Blend in October. We'll have a chat about that in a minute, but before we do, could you perhaps get us started with an introduction to your business? Business was started by my dad back in 1979. Uh, He used to work with a garage and decided he wanted to move on and do his own thing. Uh, So set up on his own and has built the business up from the ground up, basically. Uh, it's started off as a very small concern with not much to do and didn't really know where the next mortgage payment was going to come from, but gradually just worked hard and uh, developed it into the business that it has become. What was your introduction to the business? I started working with Dad on Saturdays as a child. He used to take me in on a Saturday morning. We'd sit there for hours just whilst he's working I was watching and learning and I'd go in every school holidays working with him helping him out and then eventually I finished my A-levels and decided to have a gap year before going to university and that is when I didn't go back to university I just stayed working for him um, and kind of worked full-time and then that all went on and eventually in about 2008 he made me a director of the business and I kind of worked my way up from there. What sort of setup do you have now? Currently we have a workshop that is 5,000 square feet. Um, I've got eight ramps including MOT Bay and I've got at the moment nine employees but I'm literally just in the process of expanding the workshop again and add in some more ramps and another 5,000 square feet and hopefully some more employees should the interviews go well. Now, we've been chatting on the podcast in previous episodes and I must confess your ears may have been burning because your name, Tom, has cropped up a few times now is one that many of us are particularly looking forward to hearing at The Blend in October. So, no pressure. And without any further suspense, Tom, tell us what your talk is all about. Well, it's my journey through business from starting off at a young age, uh, working for a family business and the, the distinct challenges that that brings. It's, we find a lot of garage owners uh, are, come from a father-son background usually, um, and it, there are particular challenges within that dynamic that make business very difficult. And I just want to talk to other people about how I've overcome some of those challenges and how uh, hopefully give them some tips to try and allow them if they're facing the challenges that I faced to get over those problems and to be able to do what they need to do to make their business as they you know eventually take over from the older generation to make it a big success like I think I've proved with my own business. Tell us a bit about the working relationship with your father. How has it developed over the years and what were the challenges you came up against? The working relationship with my father has always been very good. We've always worked closely together, uh, but in later years, as he's become of closer to retirement age, the willingness to change and make changes or to invest in either buildings or equipment, I guess the desire dropped off massively because he's towards the end of his career if you like whereas I was at the start of mine and just wanted to really move forward with the times and you know get the business soaring and 
So there's quite a large difference of opinion and it took a lot of planning, a lot of spreadsheet operating and producing, uh, putting facts and figures, talking with an accountant, doing all those bits and pieces in the background to prove that my thought process was what I was after. You know, this is where I'm going, this is what could happen. Um, and it, it took a number of years to get my message across. What do you think was holding him back? Everyone has a degree of fear when it comes to change, I suppose. Was there an element of that? Fear of change, yeah, definitely the fear of change. I think it was also a fear of, uh, with limited number of working years left to recover from any financial losses I might incur in the business. I think that was probably the key key worry. You know, if if things didn't work out and I'd mess things up, he would be unable to rectify it because he hasn't got enough working years left. Well, that's understandable. What changes were you wanting to implement? What investments were you wanting to make at that stage? To start with, it was simple things like um, garage management software, moving over to uh, Garage Hive was a, that took a number of months to convince him it was the right thing to do. Um, but I eventually managed to do that and never looked back. Uh, but there was that was the first one. Second one was moving workshops. I'd realized quite quickly uh, as the business was expanding and our name was getting around more that it was becoming, our building was limiting us dramatically and we couldn't, we just couldn't function. We just couldn't work doing what we were doing. It was just impossible. And when I worked out how much it was gonna to cost to move, I was met with a very big, are you joking? Where do you think that money's coming from? Why do you wanna do that? And that was, that was a big hurdle. I bet, I bet. Going back to the garage management system, did you have something in place before Garage Hive? No, we we did run a a, a a different garage management system, and as the it worked well to start with, but as the business grew, the software was incapable of growing with us. It was very limited, and I couldn't track and trace all the metrics of business I needed to to see where I needed to invest. You know what, which bits of the business were profitable, and all the other bits and pieces necessary. So it was, we just, yeah, it just become a, a form of information that was just of no use. I needed more information and Garage Hive was um, a, a revelation. It was one of those things, seeing all the information that we could see, eye opener, really game changer. At what point did your father realise that actually these were investments well made? It took a good while. Um, it probably, I think two years of having Garage Hive in place before he thought, actually, the money that I spend on Garage Hive compared to the money that the business makes in comparison now is just a big difference. Um, and I don't think he wouldn't now, looking back, wishes he'd done it sooner. Was it the same case when it came to moving the workshop? Again, yeah, that was something that he was dead against and COVID changed it for me. Uh, Boris's rules said that people over a certain age weren't allowed to go outside. So I was working from home and I'd just done so much planning. 
dad, I'd already signed a lease uh, in the beginning of March to move when the lockdowns occurred. And that's the key turning point in the business is doing all the financial planning. I had so much time on my hands to get everything dialed in, all the numbers right and everything and bring out this big action plan and that's what sealed the deal really. Well it's it's great to hear that it went so well and having made those initial changes successfully, what about your later suggestions? Did you find that your father was more open to listening? Very much so and yeah after those key turning points in the business uh, I kind of think he realised that my intentions were all good. Uh, I was doing it for the right reasons. I'm not making reckless uh, decisions. I, you know, everything I did was calculated, planned, you know, spreadsheets were key. Having all the information in front of him, I can just show him all the bits of paper, all the, all the key facts and figures. Since doing all that, now if I want to make a, a big significant change uh, in the workshop, for example, hiring of staff or buying new equipment. It's, it's not something I need to go and get permission for anymore. I can just, as long as I've done my numbers, I, I, I can go ahead and do it. And, you know, he's more than happy to let me just roll with it now. Well, you've proven yourself by the sound of it, which is great to hear. How difficult was it during the early stages of that transition? Because you've got a working relationship and that family connection too. Did you find it brought those difficulties home and did it affect your personal relationship with your father? Oh, definitely, yes. Um, it, it did have a big impact when all the, the conflict was there. It, it did have a big impact on our personal lives. Um, I couldn't face going to my parents' house very often because every time I went there, I would get questioned and quizzed and... Um, you know, it would always be something negative produced in front of me to make me think I'm doing the wrong thing. Um, but that's all changed. It's much we have now. We've got it all sorted, and everything else is all how I want it. Our work, our personal relationship is fantastic. It's so much better, much more relaxed. Um, you know, it's nice now to go over and see mum and dad and have a roast dinner, and we just talk about family stuff it's, it's great good pleased to hear it for anyone listening that this may be really resonating with what's your advice tom firstly for the older generation listening and secondly for the younger generation to the older generations i would say listen to the children sometimes their ideas may seem completely daft but ask them to back up their ideas with proof of concept ask them to show you how they can make it work um don't just say no. Don't just, you know, put a barrier up in front of them. Just ask them to prove it. And if you've got someone that's shows willing and is wanting to prove it, they will. To the younger generations that are facing these battles, it is a case of you need to pull your finger out. You need to prove what you want to do with the business will work. You know, facts and figures. Speak to your accountant. Speak to financial advisors. Speak to other industry leaders and just you know make sure your ideas aren't flawed and come up with the proof that what you want to do will do it for the right reasons um, for yourself and the older generation. Well Tom it's been really very interesting chatting to you and as I say we're all very much looking forward to hearing much more from you at The Blend in October. 
Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Blend Podcast and thanks once again to today's guests, Andy Crook and Tom Cockings. It's worth mentioning that tickets to the Blend, which takes place on the 7th of October at the Eastside Rooms in Birmingham, are now fast approaching a sellout. So if you haven't booked yours yet, head over to the Blend website and get them now to avoid disappointment. All that's left to say is subscribe to the Blend Podcast and we'll be back in a couple of weeks.